good morning, Carmel. Thanks for being here on a cold, cold day. Thanks to all of you who are worshiping somewhere online, and we're grateful to be together. This is week three of Improbable Joy. I think I've got that right. Uh, we're still in chapter one, and I just want to start with a statement that's going to feel odd as we talk about the book of joy, and that is that the writer of Ecclesiastes in chapter seven, verse two said that death is the destiny of every man and that the living should take this to heart. That death is the destiny of every man. That means everybody in this room, everybody online, and every human on earth, we have a destiny, a date. The psalmist says in 139 that he knows all of our days before one of them comes to pass. And so I say that with not the sense of uh, any sense of being morbid or, or overly dark or, or also uh, to be trivial or, or flippant about it. But it is a reality that there's going to be a day when people are going to come either here or somewhere else and your name and your picture is going to be on the bulletin for a funeral. It just is. I mean, I think sometimes, I just wonder sometimes, am I going... Am I going to go to Christy's funeral with my kids and grandkids? Or is Christy going to come to my funeral with our kids and grandkids? I just think about that sometimes as I consider about life and passing. Because it's, it's not, it's not a, um, a dark thought. It's common to man. It's a part of the human drama and the human existence. And we, we de-weird it actually when we talk about it like this at a non-funeral moment and to say, yeah, this is, this is how it works. We're born, we live, and we pass. It's a short life, a medium life, or a long life, but we all step into a infinitely long eternity with Christ or without Christ. And so Paul takes us there today, he kind of helps us wrestle with some of this and bring in this fusion or this wedding of an improbable joy of life and death. So if you've got your Bibles, uh, go with me to chapter one, verse actually 18, or grab your journals if you've got your journal with you. <clears throat> and let's talk about this, you know, death is the destiny of every man. And let me just say it to you this way. I, I, I get like there's this sense of, of like a bucket list. You know, I, th I forgot the movie. It was, I don't know if it was titled Bucket List or whatever, but the movie made that popular about... I got these 10 things I really want to do in life. And you know, you might be a kid today who just says, I just want to like, get out of high school, <laughs> you know, or I want to marry her, right? Um, I want to work at, at this type. I want to be this. I, I want to walk, you know, I want to walk my daughter down the aisle. I want to see, I want to see, I want to see grandkids, you know, We've all got things like that, and there's nothing wrong with it. I want to go to this country with my favorite people, right? You know, I want to go to this nation or this place. And it's all well and good. But you got to hold those things really loosely. Because that's not what defines life, or should I say, a good life. 
You know, we've all seen the shirts that say baseball is life or salt life or, you know, this is life. Pick your favorite thing and it's life. And that's fun and cool and all that. But if we're not careful, those things become our identity. What if that thing's taken away? You can't play that sport. Or if you can't do this or that, or if you're just not performing as well as you used to in that arena. If that's your identity, you got a rough road to walk. But if our identity is in Christ and Christ alone, and all these other things are just fun things to enjoy, then life is good because your identity is always the same. Amen? So let's pick up the story actually in verse 18 because I, what I want us to do is like connect the dots to last week because 18 and 19 is one of those weird verses uh, where you gotta remember the verses weren't there when Paul wrote the letter. Verses and chapters were added later and we ended like in the midst of a break. Okay, so this will make sense as we read it. 18, what then? He was talking last week about preachers that were like good motives and bad motives that were for him and against him, remember? What then? Only that in every way, whether in pretense or in truth, Christ is proclaimed. And in that I rejoice. Yes, and I will rejoice. Okay, that's where we stopped last week. But verse 19 goes on to say, For I know that through your prayers and the help of the Spirit of Jesus Christ, that this will turn out for my deliverance. As it's my eager expectation and my hope that I'll not be at all ashamed, but that with full courage now, as always, Christ will be honored in my body, whether by life or by death. For to me to live is Christ and to die is gain. If I'm to live in the flesh, that means fruitful labor for me. Yet which I choose, I can't tell. I'm hard pressed between the two. My desire is to depart, to be with Christ, for that's far better. But to remain in the flesh is far more necessary on your account. So convinced of this, I know that I will remain and continue with you all for your progress and joy in the faith. So that, so that, listen, so that in me, you may, be, you may have ample cause to glory in Christ Jesus because of my coming to you again. Okay, verse 18, check this out. What, what's, what's happening in the, in the, in the, in the, uh, in, in the, the I will. In, in, there's, ten, there's a tense issue happening. Not like it's tense, but like a verb tense. He says, what then? Christ is proclaimed and in that I rejoice. Yes, and I will rejoice for that I know that through, and then he goes on to that. He's in the present tense. He's saying, these preachers that are preaching like for good motives and bad, it's all good, man. Jesus is being preached present tense, I rejoice. And then he says, and I will rejoice, which is what? It's, it's a future tense verb. So his, his attention is now moving from there to there. And he says, and in this, because of this, through your prayers, look at it, and the help of the spirit of Jesus Christ, this will turn out for my deliverance. Now, I want you to understand, Paul's using an old literary device called synchrisis, which was this ancient literary device that was like a this and that thing, or like a comparison thing, where uh, in Hellenistic writing, they would use it to compare often death. And for the pagans, when they used this, this and that kind of tool, it was always pessimistic. It was always a downer. That makes sense, right? But Paul takes a tool that was pessimistic and makes it optimistic because of Jesus. 
And so he's saying, look, I rejoice now for two reasons. Your prayers, the power of the Holy Spirit is gonna turn out for my deliverance. And what's odd about the word for deliverance there, that's used 45 times in the New Testament. And this is the only time it comes out in translation as deliverance. Most of the time it comes out as salvation. It's a noun used for salvation about you know the end of life and being delivered unto salvation and I was saved, being saved, will be saved and like, boom, I'm gone. But he uses it here more in a natural sense. And so you're kind of going at this point in the text like, what's he mean by this? Is he gonna be delivered like out of the house arrest there in Rome or like delivered through death and stepping into the presence of Christ? And he says, verse 20, it's my eager expectation and my hope that I, won't, that I won't be ashamed, but that with full courage, now as always, Christ will be honored in my body. Here's the clue. Whether by life or by death. He said, I've got, I've got this like passion inside of me, this desire inside of me that whether it's like life or death, Christ is gonna be honored in my body. And what's so fun about the language here is this word for these two words, eager expectation, is actually one word that's a mashup of three Greek words that has this sense of away the head and to watch. It has this sense of like somebody's head head that's up and is leaning in, like really dialed in, like super focused, like a horse, horse with the blinder thing, you know, wherever you look. Like yesterday morning, sitting in my den, drinking some coffee with Christy and our granddaughter Eden was hanging out with us and we're just, you know, goofing off and just kind of waking up, you know, and uh, I did one of these out the back window and, you know, Christy was like, and there was a huge hawk on our porch. I've always seen them flying above and I love them because they're just, they're majestic, right? And I've never seen one and he was on the railing. It was, he was it was a big bird. And so I ran to get my phone. I was gonna get a picture. And in my stupidity of trying to get the perfect picture, before I hit that, he, you know, he takes off and I missed it. But it was this, it was so awesome and so unusual that it caused me to just like really dial in and look at it in a way that alarmed Christy. But Paul is showing us that as he thinks about next steps for him in life and death, that he has this focus and hope. Remember, hope's not wishful thinking for us in Christ. And we have this hope of something, as he says in the text, that he knows and we know it's certain and sure, but we just don't know when and how, right? Like with our passing, like we know it's coming, Paul knew it was coming and he really wanted his body to honor the Lord in his life and death, just didn't know when or how it would come out in reality. And he says, I want my body to really glorify him. And remember, the Greeks didn't think the body was a good thing. The Greeks looked at the body as evil. But as believers in Christ, we believe that God made us body, soul, and spirit and that our bodies or reflections of him as Imago Dei, and that all of us, body, soul, and spirit, body included, is good. And Paul's saying, look, 
I want this thing, this temporary, you know, thing to glorify him now, but also in my passing. Because he says in ver- it, it says it this way in verse 21, for to me to live is Christ and to die is gain. For, now, now, you might be new to this. Maybe this is your first time at a church. You might have heard this because this is a fairly known scripture. But if you've been in church for any length of time, you've most likely heard this. To, for to me to live is Christ and to die is gain. And Paul is, let me just say it in this paraphrased way, is saying life means Christ to me as I know him and serve him. And, but death means Christ to me when I finally get to be there with him in his presence. I don't recommend the message as a Bible study tool, but it is fun to look at sometimes for a paraphrase. And the message says here, life versus even more life, I can't lose. And that's the hope that we have. That's why, as I, as I say, as we talk about death, I'm not trying to be trivial or lighthearted about it um, or, or overly morbid, but just say, look, we're all gonna pass away at some point in life. We're gonna, we're gonna die in that way. And so Paul is telling us because there is an eternity with Christ forever or without Christ forever in heaven or in hell. It's, he's saying, look, in Christ, life now versus more life then, I can't lose. But here's something really fun and interesting because it, it shows the, the richness and the rawness of it. You see the two is's? Those is's aren't there in the Greek. So it roughly translates in the Greek, for to me to live, Christ, and to die, gain. There's just this boom, like for me to live, Jesus, for me to die, gain. For me to live, Jesus, for me to live, Jesus. It's just, it's just this beautiful, like, hey, it's all okay. It's good. Because in verse 22, he's gonna unpack it for us. If I'm to live in the flesh, that means fruitful labor for me, yet which I shall choose, I can't tell. I'm hard pressed between the two. My desire is to depart and to be with Christ, for that's far better, but to remain in the flesh is more necessary on your account. So Paul's like saying, I, I just can't pick as if he really has a choice. He doesn't, right? It's not like he goes, hmm, door number two, Johnny. No, it's not, it, he doesn't get to make that call. It's, but, but he's illustrating for us, if he did, this is hard because he sees he sees benefits in both and cost in both. And he says, if I stay here, it means fruitful labor. So to die is to be with Jesus, to live is to bear more fruit. But he's like, he's torn. Look at what, I'm pressed between the two. And he says, my desire then is to go, to depart, to be with Christ. And this word for desire, is, it's funny because it translates often as lust. As, as like this passion in the negative. But used in the positive, Paul is saying, my desire, in other words, he's saying, my passionate longing is to depart, is, is to go. Because as an older man now, knowing what awaits him, he says, 
there's a pull for me that's real. One thing I've learned through the years and I've seen people who have buried their children, who've buried their parents, who've buried a spouse, there's a next level longing in them for heaven. And it, it, it's the reality and the hope. And that's why, that's why Paul wrote to the Thessalonians and said, you can grieve without hope and you can grieve with hope. If you don't know Christ, there's no hope because there's no reunion. But in Christ, there's hope because we believe in the resurrection of the dead and a reunion in Christ. And Paul is illustrating for, this, us, for us in this beautiful way to say, I passionately long to go. And a lot of you in the room understand what I mean by that. That there's, there's a goodness and a hopefulness in our death and in our passing. That it's not morbid, that it's not nirvana, you know, lights out, darkness, no hope. It's just over, right? And he says, and it's way better. And I want to go. I want to depart. And... and if you're Paul, this is what he might be thinking in the back of his mind. Not only is there the goodness of seeing Jesus, there could be like no more stones, right? No more rocks thrown at me. No more beatings. No more foggings. No more prison. No more peril. No more hunger. No more floating in the ocean and not knowing if I'm going to live or die, right? No more any of this. And I can just experience like the presence and the peace of Christ. So he says, I would rather go and be with him. That's just honest, right? That's just fair. And he says in that, I want to depart. It was a word used for like to break camp. Here's this is near Masada in Israel. And, and, and if you've been to Masada, you know it's that peak by the Dead Sea and where a, a remnant of Jews uh, fled and, and, and uh, uh, survived, uh, uh, tried to survive the siege of the Romans coming against them. But outside of Masada, here's just some ruins of a Roman camp where they were there, like bees in a hive, right? They were all in this. And you can easily see the outer wall of stone and the inner wall of stone and their, their safety. To, and at some point, some, some you know, guy in charge was like, all right, let's go. Time to break camp. And they would tear down camp and they would move. Or it was used like of a, a ship that would like pull up the anchor. It's time to set sail. It's time to go. No, no more tether to that. And remember, Paul was a tent maker. And, and, and there's, there was this, this sense that Paul understood there was a tent life and a, and a house life, a home life. How many of you like to camp? If you'll, like, do this. How many of you are campers, right? How many of you, like, like that is not your idea of fun. Okay, <laughs> right? Okay, so, you know, we, we all know what it's like, whether you love it or hate it, to wake up on the ground and it's hard and you're cold, I'm playing my card here. Um, and you know, an RV would be different. That'd be, that'd be a different level, but that's, I guess, glamping, not camping like hard on. So 
Paul gets this and he's, he's telling us, in fact, he, he, he makes this clear to us in 2 Corinthians 5.1 when he says, we know that if the tent that is our earthly home is destroyed, we have a building from God, a house not made with hands, eternal in the heavens. And so you might like this life. You might like tent life. Like I like my life. I love my life. I do. And, and, and that's good. Like there, there is a joy in this tense life, but I know that the life coming, the eternal life, the house life, the non-destructible life is going to blow it away. And all of this goodness and or struggle that we have here is going to be blown away. And Paul's making it clear. And he's giving us two profound truths about how to die properly. Number one is found in the term Depart, that being simply that when you die, you go somewhere. That's why I prefer saying pass away, like so-and-so passed away today, because it shows the reality in our theology that there's a heaven and that there's a hell, and that you step into one of two eternities forever after death, that you go somewhere. It's not just softer language to say pass away than died. It's just a theological twist on it to say, Yeah, when I die in Christ, I depart in Christ, I'm passing away in Christ, I'm going somewhere. And the second truth is, is that that somewhere in Christ is with Jesus. And outside of Christ is not with Jesus. So you could say to live as Christ and to die as gain if you know him, but if you don't know him, you could say to to live as self and to die as loss. And that's a profound question to contemplate and to consider today, that if you know him, your, your death, according to Paul, your passing, according to Paul, is a gain. But outside of Christ, it's an unimaginable loss and separation from him. But to remain in the flesh, he says, is more necessary on your account. And convinced of this, he says, convinced of this, I know that I will remain and continue with y'all for your progress and join the faith so that in me, you might have ample cause to glory in Christ Jesus because of my coming to you again. So Paul had two massive motives in like this, this press, in this anguish of stay or go, should I stay or should I go? Um, and it was like, hey, if I stay, it's, it's good for you. You know, his, his disciples. But man, also, God's glorified, go or stay. What does it mean to like glorify him? Like when you think about that, it it sounds like such a spiritual word, right? Because it is. What does it mean for you, Mr. Banker? You, Mrs. Banker? (laughs) Because 95% of you that work outside the home, that's probably where you are. Mom at home, dad at home, student, retiree, Widower, widow, what does it mean for your life to glorify God? Because we could all go, yeah, sign me up. I want to I be a glorifier. What does that mean again? 
To glorify God very simply means to make much of him. It means to point to him. It means that attention is placed on him and him alone through, through your life. So that in your life and in your passing, that people see how you lived and how you died. It's one year anniversary of someone who passed away and his widow and three young kids were in the first service. And I mentioned, I just said to her, I know it's a year and he really glorified God in his life and in his passing. Because he, it's one thing to show like how to live well to those around you, but it's also another to show how to, to die well. Because some of us are gonna die in a car wreck and it's gonna be sudden, but others are gonna suffer for a long time, maybe with something. And there's gonna be an opportunity to show how to die well. And that's such a foreign thought to the world. Like what? There's nothing good about that. Oh, there is. Oh, there is. Because when we show dying well to those around us, and is that easy? No. But supernaturally empowered to show how to die well, we're testifying that I don't want to leave you. I don't, this hurts physically, but I know that we're going somewhere. And that this isn't goodbye, that this is see you soon. There's a huge difference in that. There is a tremendous difference to say, I'll never see you again. Whew. Sorry, I just looked at my son-in-law and thought about my own family. But I'm not gonna say that to you, John. And you're not gonna say it to me someday. I'll see you soon. And that soon might be another 40 years for you to live or me or whatever. But it's gonna be, bam, soon, over. See, that's the solid hope that we have as followers of Jesus. That as good as your life is or as bad as your life is, we don't live for this life. This is the tent life. This is the temporary life. The house life is coming. The house life is later. And that's what we long for and long for. And so let me just ask you a very honest question. If I say for to me to live is blank, how do you fill in that blank? For to me to live is, can you say with conviction that it's Christ? And not your job, not this or that or this or that or this or that. But it's really Jesus. Because if you can answer that as in Christ, then you have nothing to fear of your death. Because where we're going, there is no sorrow or tear or pain or grief or death. So Paul's modeling something for us in that there's this friendship and this relationship. And he's talking about coming back to them possibly. He will be freed and will, he will die later. He'll be beheaded later. But this is that Via Ignatia that we looked at the first two weeks and we saw it you know, coming up out of the coast, you know, this skinny little road coming up. But this is actually in Philippi, next to the forum. Paul walked there. And as he thinks about 
in this house arrest. He can see that there. And he thinks, man, I want to be with you. It brought him joy. And he thought, as we get together, there's going to be this glory unto him. You know, over Christmas, you know, we traveled to Houston to meet our granddaughter. And as we went to the airport, it was my crew and um, Anna Grace and John and Eden. And John wisely said to me, he said, you know, this is the first time we've all gone to the airport where we weren't saying goodbye to the other group. And we're all happy and we're not crying because I'm putting y'all on a plane or I'm putting you in a plane and it's going to be like, okay, I'll see you in a year or six months. I don't know, but I will see you again. But it's that. And I was like, yeah, that's profound because instead of going to the airport like this, we were going to the airport like this. And I, and I told him, I said, you know, it always helped me when I went to see you. I could see where y'all lived and it gave me hope. It wasn't like Anna Grace was in this fuzzy thing that I couldn't see and it added to my longing to see her. And the same for when your parents came recently and I said, I know how good this is for your mom and dad because when they go back to Liverpool on one of those days they're really missing you, they can see in their mind's eye our house and the cottage and the backyard and everything that you live in and that you're part of and our dog and all that jazz. Knowing where they are brings a hope because there is a real place. It's not just this ambiguous nothingness. So profound, simple question. Who in your life do you value? Who are your people? Because see, what Paul is saying to stay is to have fruitful labor. That's not like bananas. <laughs> That's not like a harvest of a crop. The fruit he's talking about are people. He's talking about lost people knowing Jesus and found people being discipled and grown. Who are you people? Because that gives you energy and focus and, and direction when you wake up tomorrow and it's 15 degrees again and you don't want to go work maybe, possibly, maybe you're pumped about it, it's going to be a good day. But nonetheless, you get out of the bed in the morning because you know that there is a fruitfulness that you've been called to. That when you're gone, there are people who've been affected and impacted by your life. You go, yeah, I don't have a public life. You have a life. If you're living and breathing, you have a life. And it might be a small circle and it might be a giant circle, but you've got a circle because you know people and you got a people called your family and called your closest friends. And at some point, you're out and they're here. So what kind of focus are you living with? Instead of just thinking about, you know, the... If you haven't heard Alive and Breathing by Matt Marr, go home and listen to it. It's such a good song. Because if you're alive and breathing, you're listening to me right now, you have a reason to be here. It's not cliche, it's truth. So would you take out a pen or on your phone or tablet, and if you don't have either one of those in your head, who are your people? Write them down really fast or log them in your head for a moment. 
Who are your people? It could be your spouse. It could be your kids, parents. It could be your closest friends. Who are your people? That if you're Paul, if you're in this situation, you're like, you're torn. You're looking at somebody like, you know, to stay, you know, to live as Christ, but to die as gain. The people that are making it hard for you to make that decision, who are those people? Amen. Father, we bow our hearts with these names in our minds or on our papers or in both. We thank you, Father, that you came for us in Christ. And as Paul says that in Christ, we can be forgiven and born anew and have this joy of knowing that in our passing that we're going somewhere and it'll be with you. And that's good. But the transition's hard. It's hard for us as we are the ones moving ahead or if, if it's our people who are going ahead before us. So Father, I pray for great comfort. I pray for great mercy and grace for all of us in this moment who might have that wrestle going on. And I pray that when it hurts the most that your hope you give us of reunion would be just soothing medicine. And Father, in the, in the meantime, would you let us think like home people and not tent people, recognizing that you've prepared a better place. And Father, if there's anybody here or online that has never said Jesus is my Lord, I, 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 I pray that they would pray with me now. Father, forgive me of my sin. I am a sinner and I believe Jesus came for my sins and bore my sins on the cross and that he was buried and resurrected on that third day. And I choose this day to follow him the rest of my days on this earth. In Jesus' good name, amen. Before our ushers come, I just wanna add an application point that I didn't think to add in the first service and that is as you think about life and passing one thing I think Paul is showing us is to value life to number life as Moses said in, in the Psalm uh, in Psalm 90 when he says give me a heart of wisdom that I might number my days if you've got little babies at home let me tell you right now they're going to be gone soon I'm living proof I've got a granddaughter at my house that looks just like her mama and she's this visual reminder every day of how fast it goes. So if you've got somebody that you call beloved at home, pour your life into them while you can and then keep pouring into your grandkids as much as you can, amen.